0: Hello, Crazy Pastor Nation. It's Christopher here. Uh, We have an interesting episode lined up for you all today as we are discussing the recent 288-page report on the Southern Baptist Convention's mishandling of sexual abuse cases in our country. Because we're discussing a rather heavy subject, we wanted to issue a trigger warning before the episode starts. For more information regarding today's topic or to reach help, you can call one 800 656 4673 to be connected to a trained staff member from a sexual assault service provider in your area or email at SBC hotline at guidepostsolutions.com Thank you for listening to today's episode. Hope you find it helpful. All right, well, now to the show. (laughs) Welcome to the Crazy Pastors Podcast. This is, in fact, a podcast that is fun, I hope, that it is lighthearted. I also aspire to that. Mm. And it is intended to equip and to encourage church ministry leaders.
1: And to to make you laugh. I want people to laugh.
0: I hope so. But in light of today's topic, it's going to be a little bit different. We're talking about a very serious subject. Yeah. So hopefully we had enough fun in our banter segment because I don't know that we're going to have a whole lot of laughs from here on out. Yeah. So today,
1: Ronnie. Brought to you by the church formerly known as First Baptist Brothers.
0: <laughs> no, no, absolutely oh. not. But we are Southern Baptist Church, and I guess it was 10 days ago yeah. that the SBC Independent Report, 288 pages, was released. A long one on the cover up of sexual abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention predominantly it talked about at the leadership level of the executive committee central figures of the Southern Baptist Convention pretty famous people and then it got into the you know the nuts and bolts you know later they talked about a list of 700 some odd names that they had been accumulating since the mid 90s but had not publicized or reported on yes and then that was released just a few days ago yep so really Ronnie this is kind of shocking we are the second largest evangelical denomination in the United States.
1: Yes. Second only to the Catholic Church? Yes.
0: It's heartbreaking. It right? is. Right. And so I, I just want I want you and I as just casual pastors to talk about how are we relating with this? What are we thinking? How are we gonna respond to it? And then just some thoughts on you know, I, I think we have to talk about what do we do moving forward southern baptists but then also in our local context how do we handle it
1: yeah i mean it's heartbreaking it makes you angry it's uh it's horrific i mean it really is as you read the cases from the list of what people are accused of and just knowing i mean i would imagine most of those are like I said, dealing with children right we're talking about pedophiles and we know that churches are targets for pedophiles but we typically think about that from a congregation standpoint People coming in as members or just coming right. into the church, trying to work their way into volunteer and student areas and children areas. Don't often think about that being in the in the leadership role. Pastors, worship pastors, you know, key volunteers in a church. Right. So, and as we know about most pedophiles, by the time you find out about a case, they've had 20, 30, 40, 50 victims. It's overwhelming. Yeah,
0: I think Ministry Safe is a group that we're going to reference several times. Yes. Uh, I've known Greg Love for Thank over 20 for years ministry now, Safe. and he does incredible work in that Ministry Ministry Safe. I think the numbers are that the, there are 70 victims, Seventy. 70 victims before a police report is ever filed. Yeah. And you look at
1: some of those reports and those those cases. There were several cases over several years that were taking place right inside the church. And I, I was really overwhelmed at the number of cases that were against children, you know, and abuse of children.
0: Yeah, probably I, over fifty percent of the cases. I expected listed.
1: more in the the adultery between adults, but just the them were kids, which is just that becomes sickening at that point. And how these people, and his men and women, were a part of this list, you know, that they targeted. And what this stuff was allowed to go on or ignored. So that was the the main heartbreak. But then to see the cover-up of all this, that not knowing how many accounts where that was just allowed to go on because no one really dealt with that issue. And then to go to a higher level, and fortunately to see that some had been arrested and some are serving sentences because of their crimes. Right. Because it is a crime. It's a major crime and needs to be dealt with. So the, the sickening part of hearing about all that abuse and then the double sickening that there was a cover-up going on because the mentality motivation is we don't want to hurt the convention, we don't want to hurt these leaders. With Well, now it's 10 times worse <laughs> because you've added cover-up on top of the original sin,
0: so to speak. It's really mind-boggling. You know, I tend to err on the side of logic and reasoning. And so when I think through issues, I'm going to spin them a 100 different ways until I find the solution that I think is going to work best. You know, I don't know math. My older brother, of course, is a math genius. So it's not, you know, beautiful mind type stuff. It's just that that's just how I'm wired to, and and when I think about all the scenarios of how all this happened, I mean, you can understand that the Southern Baptist Convention, going back to Anabaptists way, way back. Way back. Going back to Zwingli's days. Yeah. You know, the Baptists have always been vehemently independent. So, for all of my Presbyterian, Episcopal, Anglican friends out there that are listening, we have a unique structure here. And the structure is that every single Southern Baptist church is vehemently independent. No one tells them what to do. We are no autonomous. How. Well, yes. vehemently autonomous. Yes. I mean, them fighting wars. Not to wars. confuse us
1: with independent Baptists. But.
0: Yeah, but I would say on the extreme of being independent – yeah. Right? I mean, the Independent Baptist, Baptist Missionary Association, I mean, those are some pretty fundamental yes. groups. But on this issue, Southern Baptists are pretty fundamental. No one tells us what to do. We don't have a bishop. We don't have right. uh, yeah. a group telling us what to do. Every church makes its own decisions. So when you have a governing group, which I, that's that's not even the right way to say that. It's not a governing group.
1: Right. I mean, it's a unique setup in the fact that, like during the convention, which takes place in June, the national Southern Baptist Convention.
0: Which you and I are going to this year. We are
1: in Anaheim, California. So the messenger there, the business is done in that that week, and that is the Southern Baptist Convention. But outside of that week, there is the executive committee, which basically is the the office of the Southern Baptist Convention that runs all the stuff throughout the year.
0: And stuff meaning all the ministries, the missions. Yeah. All budgets, the programs, uh, yeah. the financial backing, not Corporate of individual program, churches. All that we church planting. Work. I mean, they handle uh, retirement benefits, those types of things for pastors, but they're not telling the local church what to do. So it's no. it's this weird dynamic that happens, and not, it's not totally unique. There's others that have a similar structure. So I can understand the dilemma of these people that get reports. We don't have authority over the local church yet. You're coming to the highest perceived authority in the land for yeah. Southern Baptists, and you're you're making a claim, stating a case sharing a hurt, and to not have any action that comes from that. So I guess what I'm saying is I understand the dilemma, but the dilemma, the organizational structure, in no way, shape, or form allows what they did to be justified. What what, right. what was done was wrong. But that
1: was their argument, uh, one of the arguments, of each church is autonomous. It's not our purview to step into that. But— I mean, and a lot of these who lead are, were former pastors, have been pastors. Right. And as a pastor, if you have someone come to you and share, hey, there's abuse going on, how are you not going to respond? How are you not going to step in? It? Or maybe that's not your job, to police that matter, but you need to connect to those that, that are, that are aware of the situation, and give some guidance. I would not think it was the executive committee's job to pursue lawsuits or pursue arrests on these people. But just to sit back and knowingly, Say, hey, there's abuse going on here. Or, or alleged abuse alleged, or apparent uh, yeah. abuse or whatever. Yeah, but I'm just not going to do anything about
0: that. We don't have the authority. And and that's... Ridiculous. Gosh, that's what, that's what really bothers me about all this. It's unchristian. <laughs> it It's unbiblical. It's unchristian. Yeah. We are to live above reproach. Matter of fact, Ronnie, I mean, since I've been in ministry, there has been a standing rule that pastors are not exempt from mandatory reporting. If someone... Talks about suicide, self-harm, or harm of others, we have a legal responsibility to share that with the authorities. Yes. And so how does a way up high group not be held to the same standard?
1: Yeah. I mean, they're still shepherds, right? And so that context, whether it's legal or not legal, you know, that you have to report something. Morally, you do. Ethically, you do have to protect someone that's being abused.
0: Let me spin it just a little bit different. What if? Uh, What if scenario? Oh, scenario. Right? What if? So, you and I in our local context are among a few pastors that are really, really connected in the community only because our vision is to make Burleson a better place for all people, not just our church members. Right. And so, if we, because of our relationships multi-denominationally within the community, if we heard that if there was another church in our community and we heard wind that there might be abuse going on yeah. from a pastor, a deacon, whatever. I don't think that you and I would just sit on the side and just say, "Well, oh well, I'm sure they're going to take care of it." Yeah, we would step into the fray to at least have a conversation,
1: right? And you know, there and there are scenarios where you see that in a counseling situation, someone falsely accuses a pastor of doing or saying something. I mean, that that role is a target from those, or there was a you know, a consensual relationship that all of a sudden right. one gets found out. is lover. It's like, oh, wait a minute, he forced or she forced herself on me. So those things exist, but it doesn't negate the response that something needs to be done. Something needs to be investigated. At, at the least, find out what's, bring the parties in and talk about what's going on and expose the issue. Because there's, there's something has gone wrong, right? Rarely is there any total innocence in those things. Let's find out.
0: Okay, so of this 288-page report, and then another, I don't know, 250 pages of the list of the 700, I, I've read about half of the list. Yeah. Uh, really, just going through, are there any alumni in that? Yeah. You know, do I know any of these people? I do find it surprising that a lot of the famous people that were named in another report didn't make the list.
1: Well, and there were a lot of redactions that on was the list, so...
0: little, a little weird. Yeah. However... Of the two hundred and eighty eight page report, i probably read two hundred and twenty five or so pages of it. I have to admit that reading the individual accounts I found too heartbreaking to me. Yeah. Reading the mocking statements and behavior of the executive committee to people reporting abuse. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, right now as we're talking, I'm getting <laughs> a little choked up. Yeah. And, you know, I got goosebumps all over.
1: Well, it's villainizing abhorrent. the victim. Villainizing the victims. Right, this was your fault, or come on. Let me
0: explain to you what's really happening here. Yeah, I mean, I don't, and maybe I didn't read it. Maybe I glanced over it, but I, I never heard the phrase or saw the phrase in print. I am so sorry that this happened to you.
1: I mean, none of that. I never, I I read the whole thing and the whole list, so I've never saw, I never saw that either.
0: Okay, so you and I both know. I, I do not want to minimize the victims of abuse, children that have been abused, teenagers, even adults, and even in today's culture, spiritual abuse and using spiritual authority for a consensual relationship is still abuse, yeah right oh yeah it's a pretty big issue i, I I'm just I'm so sorry that these things have happened to these people yeah. We do have an issue to address and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, and that is, I want to talk about how do we handle these types of things on a personal level, and then we'll skip back to organizationally. So, you and I both have friends that we know in ministry that were, in fact, wrongfully accused. Right. But this is such a serious issue that even an accusation can cost someone their career.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: I have a dear friend of mine. He was an incredible youth pastor. He was accused of giving an inappropriate hug to someone. There were witnesses to say no, that's not true. Yeah. There was nothing more than a hug. Yeah. But he was terminated and never got into ministry again. Now, you and I both know he had culpability there still. Right. And that's what I'm driving at. Yeah. What are the things that that we do that we could mention for pastors to help protect yourself from Bill Hybels' issues, from Johnny Hunt issues? Yeah. I mean, the, these types of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, you know, some of our policies and just advice, first of all, you know, male and female should not be in a car together riding, even just, hey, we're going to staff lunch or staff retreat, or I need a ride with an assistant or a female and a male, never be in a car.
0: Now, the old school rule there was if you're single, you can be, right? But if you're married, you should never be. Is that still true? or I don't think so.
1: I think even being single, I would be concerned. Because, again, it's just something can happen, and we, you know, we trust all of our staff. Sometimes things are done or said or there's stuff going on behind the scenes or in people's minds that we're not aware of, and those opportunities to say, you know, a jilted person or feel a rejected person, so I'm going to make this person pay. We, we hope that never is the case, and you would hope in a, in a ministry capacity that would not, but it, obviously it does. We see that kind of stuff. I think even just, even as single people. And we talk about now, you know, I, I spent many years as a student pastor, and they were always talking about don't be with a teenage girl, not even out of the parking lot waiting for a parent to come pick them up. Well, right. now it's don't be out there with just a, even if it's a guy and you're a guy. I mean, just don't leave any room for someone to speculate what might be going on. Because it just takes somebody driving by, say, why is your car there? And you're there with that right. teenagers. The only only two of you. What's been going on? What's going on before I drove up? Well, so just, and that's but that's all it takes to ruin a total reputation. Totally innocent situation. Somebody says something or posts something. It's just you know it, you feel ridiculous to be so overly cautious. But I think it's worth it to be that extreme, not being caught in those kind of scenarios. And, and it happens, right? You walk in, somebody walks in. Oh, hey, man, we need to we need to go out right now. <laughs> we need to get out of this Hey, nothing against you. I just don't feel this is a good situation for us to be in. Let's walk out to
0: somebody. Yeah.
1: Um, You know, having doors with windows in them, we all have that, which is, is smart. But even at that, you can't tell what someone's saying. (laughs) You know, there may be some rude, inappropriate comments being made, suggestive comments being made, and you're not going to hear that. So having, you know, we were, joking a little bit about a, starting a business where you zoom in on people's <laughs> one-on-one meetings. I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening because
0: so if you can have someone in there,
1: I think is ideal to do that. But
0: I really just, don't want to talk too much about that because I think that may be a go okay. on the business. So okay, Drew, can you edit that out? Erase
1: that. Yeah, yeah we had a great idea about a, a business.
0: So there's a lot of weirdness to this. But we, we have scriptural backup on this. We are to live our lives above reproach. We are to flee the perception of wrongdoing. There's a, a lady in the church that
1: uh, from time to time texts me about something or an issue, and she always included Robin mm. on those texts. And I'm like, finally, we just kind of ask why. I said, well, I don't want to be guilty or leave any kind of room for speculation of me texting you as a male, I'm a female. Someone reading into that, right, so I always include your wife in those texts. I thought at first I thought that's a little extreme, but now I'm like, eh, may not be such a bad idea in certain situations
0: I think that's a classy move
1: yeah um, yeah I've adopted that
0: I'm not trying to minimize how hard this is this This whole thing is confusing, it is difficult, it is hard, yet God has given us an incredible gift in the Holy Spirit and yeah. discernment right, and so you should. Have your radar up and be mindful of Spidey these sense. that's right be mindful of these environments and flee yeah. run away you know and it, it's little casual things that happen where you know I'm working late and I see all the lights go off
1: yeah. in the hallway <laughs> and
0: I'm thinking okay, if the lights are off then I must be the only one here and then I find out I'm not the only one here yeah okay now that is the danger will Robinson moment yeah. it's time for me to pack up and get out right. But even those little things, or when you have, when any of us are doing counseling in our offices, you know, you don't ever leave a pastor in yeah. his office in counseling by themselves. Someone must, if, and I don't, it doesn't matter if it's the janitor, right? Someone should walk past that and go, oh, yeah. hang on. I know I was just cleaning the floors, but that's over. Now I'm gonna sit outside this office.
1: Yeah. I mean even with considering being there in your office alone with the cleaning crew. If you remember what happened to our good friend George Costanza. Yes. That was a total disaster. Lost his job.
0: Yes. Didn't know. Us- <laughs> yes. But unfairly he wasn't told that it was <laughs> That was not a, guess, accepted. a Well, So yeah. No, that's terrible. Um by the way, I did, I if you're a Seinfeld t- fan, <laughs> I want to make I'm sure everyone's clear. That was uh, consensual relations. Yeah,
1: I to break the tension there for a uh, moment. Please take that out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you leave that one in. What's the so sign? Let's go back to the organization. We know that we have to protect ourselves. I remember, I, I won't give the specifics of the case because it actually is a case. I was talking, getting some counsel from Greg Love about an issue at a church. It involved abuse. Very, very sad case. And he said something to me that really impacted me and has ever since. This is, I don't know, 10 years ago, he said this to me. Yeah. It was just a reminder that in the church, we are to protect the sheep. And too often, leaders that are in positions of authority seemingly protect the wolf and don't protect the sheep.
1: Well, that's what happened to the executive committee.
0: So between you and I, let's continue to make a commitment that if we're going to err on one side or the other, yeah, even if it is harsh treatment of an accused wolf, yeah, let us always err on the side of protecting our sheep.
1: Yes. And I think this is a, you know, in reflection and response to what this report and everything, um, and we've talked about this already, it is an opportunity for all those pastors out there, leaders, to address that issue with staff with volunteers even. What what are the rules on how we protect each other? What are the things that we should not be doing? Just kind of walk down that list. Write them out. Make sure everybody knows them and aware because people just often don't think about that, especially in a church context. It's supposed to be a safe place. and I'm, I'm not thinking about being in a room with somebody alone. That's not on my radar. I don't have any problem with that. But again, just it's an opportunity to say this is how we make sure we protect ourselves. So I would encourage our our pastors and leaders out there to take an opportunity to address that. As sickening as this all is, I think it's a good reminder of why we have these things in place right? and why we need to, to help instruct one another, even our volunteers, what that looks like.
0: Well, we have you know, some major categories here of these things. We definitely have sexual immorality and adultery, we definitely have that. We have the abuse issue. Which I think in all of this is the bigger context. And so we've mentioned the name several times. One other thing that I commit to I will not serve at a church of any kind that does not do sexual abuse training for its people. Mm, yeah. So we happen to use Ministry Safe. There are others, they're kind of the gold standard in the industry. Yeah. But it is mandatory that anyone that engages with minors at our church, that's all staff. We have our trustees. Yeah. We have deacons. We yeah. have anyone in a leadership role of any age, and everyone that engages with ministry to 18 and under, including our school, right. everyone has to have ministry-safe training. now. What's the significance of that? A lot of people, I, I've i championed this at churches. Matter of fact, our own church here, we have championed this, even paid yeah. the fees for other churches in our community to have this training, Yes, even brought them out to do a community-wide training event. We had city officials there. Yeah. I mean, it was a cool deal. I f- almost totally forgot we did that. Yeah,
1: proud of our church for that.
0: But w- the thing that Ministry Safe does that's so unique is that they help you understand grooming behaviors. And the more people we have in our city and in our church, in our country, that understand grooming behaviors, which are always the same, yeah. for all abuse like this, the grooming behaviors are the same. The people look very, very different. Yeah. That's why you can right. have someone who is an incredibly handsome, successful, married person yeah. still be a pedophile. Yeah. They don't look like it, and that's the danger, yeah. but these grooming behaviors can be identified if you're taught how to do it, so I just encourage everyone listening to get on, take ministry safe, and if you're in our region and you don't have the money in your church budget to pay for it, you give me a call, and we'll pay for it.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a time to reassure congregations that, that we are a safe place, and here are the measures we are taking to make sure we're a safe place, because that has to be in the back of parents' minds. Okay, my kids come to that church. What what are they doing? I think most parents expect churches to have programs and ministry to their children. I think their bigger question is, is my child safe while he or she is there on your campus? And we can't go too far to demonstrate, yes, we are aware of these things, and we're pro, trying to be proactive, keeping everyone safe.
0: We want to do everything within our capacity to create a safe environment, but we know bad things will happen. Yeah. They just, they just will. We can't safeguard the planet. But I think what's equally important to the whole conversation is how are we going to respond? When yeah. bad things happen, what are we going to do? Yeah. And man, I just hope in our ministry we don't ever get too big or get so convoluted in some political structure mm. that we choose not to do the right thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I have massive pride in J.D. Greer. Yeah. Right? No so J.D. was president he saw a bunch of stuff happening and he called out publicly several pastors at churches that were accused. Yeah. And I say kudos to JD Greer. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean it was, you know, last year at the Southern Baptist Convention, this issue was brought up and originally the executive committee wanted to bring in someone but have oversight to that investigation. And, you know, it was kind of a cool move of how we do things as a convention, which translates to our church, talking about being led by membership, influenced by membership. Congregationalism. Yeah, congregationalism. So the the whole, all the messengers, which are the representatives there, voted, no, you don't need to have anything to do with this. We need that third party to come in and allow them to investigate according to their policies and procedures. Giving oversight just makes you culpable again. So, you know, that's (laughs) not going to work. And it was a big move, but the right move, obviously, to be able to do this because now this stuff has been exposed.
0: I think it's going to be fascinating. I have done everything I can in my career to avoid going to the National Southern Baptist Convention.
1: It's about time, my friend.
0: <laughs> and this is the year that there's, there's enough going on. I need to be there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I remember working with a board of governors as a consultant one time, just in massively successful business leaders. I mean, immense wealth was in the room. This was the Board of Governance for an organization. I'm trying to keep it as broad as I can here. And organization. And organization. the planet. And I remember sitting in meeting after meeting after meeting with them and talking through decision making. And at one point, I just kind of stopped the conversation and I said, guys, I have never seen such incredibly individually smart and successful people (laughs) make such dumb decisions. You're acting as smart as a box of rocks. Mm. Individually, you're incredibly smart. And that goes to groupthink. You know, there's there's lots of psychology around that. But it's something that I think that SBC and other denominational leaders need from time to time is really some new blood. Some intense perspective from the outside. Lest I say uh, someone like me who is a go-get-it-done, not sit on something, yeah. make things happen, it's one of the things that frustrates me about large denominationalism.
1: They move at the speed of glaciers. Yes. Well, you know, it's just interesting, this this whole concept, too. I mean, you know, as the saying goes, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes. So this—I that I think that's a big part of what this whole thing was. It was a power play of we're going to cover this stuff up so we don't lose power or lose confidence— we can maintain this level of authority, but in in the end it's, it's destroyed it. And so that that's a, that's abuse of Mm -hmm. power (laughs) that they did not deal with these things properly. And they were so worried about reputation and man, it's, I mean, it's hard enough to reach a lost world. Uh, It's hard enough to have a positive opinion in, in our country of the church. These things just knock it down even
0: further. The reality is that according to our beliefs, all of us are fallen men and women. All of us have hurts, habits, hang-ups. We all have sin nature within us. Yeah, And this is, you know, making big mistakes is a part of being human. Yet, as I look back, I've been around some pretty meteoric collapses of pastors. Yeah. And I think the singular commonality that I have experienced is Complete isolation, lack of accountability, and not having anyone around that is tough enough to just tell you the way it is. Yeah. To, to be your, your reality measuring stick.
1: Yeah. Again, it's kind of an opportunity to relook at everything. Our policies on how we keep people safe, or using ministry safe, or some yes. kind of organization to keep children and students safe, and how we address our money, how we handle our money, what we give. It's just a... Man, it, I think it's what what I sense from a spiritual standpoint. It yes. seems like with COVID and some of these things, God is just kind of cleaning his house. He's like, all right, we're going to deal with these issues that you guys have, or even have been hidden for a while. I'm mm-hmm. bringing these all to the forefront because I, I got to clean my church. We got to get, if we're going to be the, the hope of the world, then we need to address some of our own junk first.
0: Well, for our global domination audience that's listening. Uh, Keep up the fight. Keep up the fight. No, seriously, no. Just no. Our hearts break over this. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it is intensely painful to know that something that you love and that you've invested so much into, that Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern yeah. Baptists around the world, have done some incredible work, yeah. and to have this mar on us is just it's really heartbreaking it is as much as that is heartbreaking it is even more heartbreaking to hear and know that people have been abused and will continue to be abused unless we change the way that we report and talk about these issues yeah it's time for change it's time for change well that's going to be our podcast today thank (laughs) you so much for listening i know this was a different one i know this is a hard one But I hope that it was helpful. It certainly was helpful for Ronnie and I. Yes. We have to deal with this at our own organizational level, and it's kind of cathartic just to get together and talk through this, uh, even through a podcast. Well, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, or criticism, please send those to Ronnie uh, or to my email, which is Christopher at crazypastors.org. Would do us a huge favor and make a comment, give us a review, spread the word. For the crazy pastor nation <laughs> yes donations no thank you guys for listening we'll catch you next time bye